Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. So uh, here we go for a, um, a very exciting episode for me of Leadership Bites. I've got three guests, which is a breakthrough moment. Um, so I've got Sam Gilbert, Keith Ambrose, and Gemma Price in no particular order, and that's the way it rotates around on my screen. <laughs> and I know who you are, and I'd just be great to get a, um, an introduction from the three of you. But this is all a catalyst for a program that we all shared together possibly over a decade now. I know somebody's got the exact date. And uh, just before we get into it, just, um, you know, who are you and, um, you know, what, what's the role you're in now? And we can kick off from there. So maybe, Sam, we can start with you. Sure. So I'm Sam Gilbert. I'm a researcher at Cambridge University. I'm also an author of a book called Good Data. Um, but I actually spent most of my career not in academia, but in the commercial sector, including at Experian, which we'll talk a bit about later. Fantastic. Thank you, Sam. And Keith? Hi, I'm Keith Ambrose. Uh, underneath, I'm an accountant, um, but I spent 20 years at Experian in a variety of roles. And most recently, I've moved into the not-for-profit sector and returned to my bean counting profession. <laughs> which does not do it the justice of keeping everybody uh, where they should be. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that, Keith. And, and Gemma, thank you. Hi, I'm uh, Gemma Price, uh, currently a head of marketing at the Access Group, um, specifically looking at sort of people technology, so HR, payroll learning and um, compliance. Prior to that, worked at did a bit of con- marketing consultancy and worked at Experian um, before that, which is where I met these, these gents and a new guy on the, on the programme. Right, brilliant. And you have the most awesome picture of a giraffe um, behind you, which I've just picked up on. <laughs> Realised it's one of those ones that I've seen somewhere before and I love it So, so compared to some of our bland backgrounds. So listen, uh, let's let's just kind of pick up on the story. This There was a bit of a, there was a, bit of a catalyst here that um, I was going through LinkedIn, as I do on a, probably most days, and Sam, a, a picture um, popped up on my stream, and I can't remember the words exactly, but it was a, you know, do you remember this? Or actually, hey, I went on this this course. And, and maybe you could just bring to life that image and what was the motivation to put it on there. And then, of course, everybody, you know, came in on the top of it, and we ended up having this conversation. But it'd be great just to hear that. Yeah, sure. So it actually started with me looking for a copy of my CV and using the terrible search function on my laptop to try and find it. And the CV I ended up opening uh, turned out to be about 10 years out of date. And so I was just kind of glancing at this really out of curiosity to see what sort of nonsense I was writing in my CV 10 years ago. And in the kind of hobbies and other interests section, I'd written that one of my hobbies was teaching members of the local community about blogging. And so I thought, like, what, what on earth was I talking about? I don't, I don't remember this at all. Um, but then um, I, I put a hyperlink in the CV. And when I clicked on the hyperlink, it took me to uh, th- this blog um, that I then remembered having created as part of the community project that we did on this leadership program called Inspire at Experian. And so I then kind of fell down a bit of a rabbit hole, rereading the, the old posts on this blog about this community project to restore a pavilion so it could be a, 
a facility for the community to use. And one of these posts featured uh, this photo. This was a group photo of the cohort of us who had been on the Inspire Leadership Program. And what that did for me, I guess, was really bring back very vividly what it was like to be in Colic Hall, which was the the hotel and conference centre where we did this conference, and to be in these sort of very powerful and memorable um, group sessions with the rest of the people in the picture. And so I just guess I wanted to put that out into the world and share it on and remind uh, everybody else about that experience as well. And I think partly because I realised, you know, almost, almost on a daily basis, certainly every week, I think about or use one of the models or insights that I got from that program. So it's now, I, th I think it was 2009 that we started this program. So what is that, 11, 12 years ago? And I'm still getting value from that almost every day. It's like a flashback, isn't it? 2009. I'm, yeah. If I even yes. look at a picture of myself in 2009, <laughs> I go, oh my God. <laughs> you know, I can't believe that many years have passed, to be honest. It's, uh, no. it's absolutely <laughs> So, you know, that, that kind of brings us on really to the, the why I wanted to do this. So for anybody that doesn't know me or you're coming into the podcast, you know, obviously I deal with leadership development and executive development. And it was just a beautiful moment in my life when I was sort of sat there and, you know, I'm, facing out into the world saying hey leadership development executive development you know and of course when then to see somebody that said hey i've got these memories of this thing that we did you know over a, over a decade ago and i think i wanted to pick up on i said just before we started about my motivations about um the, the giving people a line of sight into when something's done right and it is of a certain quality how you know there's training maybe for the situation in front of you and then there's this kind of uh, we almost want to call it but this this gift that is yet unknown that keeps on giving because you you move forward with it and um Gemma you mentioned as we just before we started this idea of the deeper program and it may be just good to get your thoughts on either maybe it's the question or the observation just on uh, how you reference that style and, and, and what it is and of course we can all chip in on that but it'd be, it'd be great to hear from you on that of course, yeah. So I think all of us have experienced at some point in our in our careers the the usual kind of training sessions, programs, and probably have some kind of preconceived ideas when we go into a new program or session of some kind of about what that will, you know, that, what that will constitute, what we'll get out of it, you know, whether we'll be fully engaged or it's just one of those things that's a tick box approach. And I think particularly with Inspire, initially I think there was a bit of jostling around in terms of trying to put your finger on exactly what you were going to get out of this what this thing was that didn't really have much of an agenda um these this group of people that you'd never met before and how you were obviously going to find your place within that group and it, it didn't take very long you know to, for us to find out within that first setup and that session that we had was that this was a very different approach to what I'd experienced before in terms of just going to that deeper level of development of exploration of you know, arming you with skills that aren't just a tick box approach to enable you to do your job right now. And yes, it's the softer skills, but even further than that, it's not just work related. It's not just task or team related. It's it's actually about you as a leader and, and your makeup and how you perceive things and 
how you can be your, you know, your authentic self and put that in any situation that you're in, whether that be a task, a team, a career, your your family life or whatever it, it, it you know, um, it was very obvious quite early on that this was a deeper level of investment that the company had, had, had you know, had committed to for us um, and that it was very different to anything I'd experienced before. Yeah, and I definitely pick up on that and just as an observer sort of that runs a programme like that, it's it's sometimes an interesting uh at the pitch you know uh so what will we be getting out of this and actually when you're at the pitch you go hey you can explain the short-term gains of knowledge and understanding and insight and calibration but also when you say hey listen you're also potentially giving people something that will be with them for the foreseeable future and as i remember somebody when i was at that pitch going what do you mean when they've left (laughs) well potentially yeah and you know that that actually might not be a bad thing and it was a, it, it's a very interesting thing to bring something to a, an organisation. And for an organisation to take on board, this is something that may actually go well beyond any value that we may even technically get from it. So, um, but actually what that means in terms of, you know, the short to midterm. But, you know, Sam, Keith, any, any kind of thoughts on, you know, Gemma's kind of thoughts there? So just to add one thing maybe, which picks up also on what you said, Guy, which is that, I, even though I left Experian a long time ago, so twenty mid-2012, I think I left, I still have very positive feelings towards it as a company. And a lot of that, I think, is associated with the fact that it did this, this very important uh, thing for my personal and professional development in allowing me to, to do that programme. So I, I think that's an important thing for organisations to bear in mind, is that, yes, people are probably going to leave, maybe some of them will leave because they have done that program and learned something new about themselves but but it's it's good karma and that good karma is going to come back to you as well Hmm. I, i like that idea i i talk about social responsibility as opposed to just corporate social responsibility and you know csr might be hey we release you once a year to go and do something you know tangible in the local community but actually if we are developing our people to be better in the world because they can listen more or give feedback better or whatever it is so they're better in life then actually maybe our our relationship with the world the the footprint of it is far larger than just an overt demonstration of we're doing something locally and and that started to make more and more sense to me about how many people do you touch in a year and then how many people, if you affect them or infect them, does that then mean when they go home, take that over a working career, how many thousands of people are we touching by our influence? And when you think about putting 100 people through a program or whatever it might be, over a decade, that's that's a significant amount of people that an organisation can be adding value to, I think, you know, in the world. So I think that, that definitely resonates with me uh, at a very personal level. And I wouldn't underestimate the multiplier impact within the business itself, because as you said, I, I can't remember how many went through that program, but it was it was a lot of people at that level. And um, and even if 80 percent of them have moved on, um, they will have been there for a while and they will have started to exhibit behaviours that their teams will have picked up on and will have learned from and and it will have spread down through the organisation um, as as well, and probably change the the culture 
whether they're still feeling an impact of it now, difficult to tell. But um, uh, yeah, I, th I certainly think it was a, a worthwhile investment for, for them as a business, um, as well as for uh, individuals. Do you remember how you got introduced to the program? Because I always, you know, one of my biggest kind of anxieties is setting people up to succeed. And I was just running a program literally last week. And, you know, again, we did all this work with the line managers, prepared them all. We've got 90 people coming on. We've had them in groups going through the program. And most of them had great conversations, but one fella turned up and he went oh my lamb and i got i got an email from hr telling me to turn up i'm like oh my lord you know they may have investment but you know if you're not set up for these things properly sometimes i think you know it, it doesn't help i just remember do you ever remember how you were you know how you were set up for it i do actually i remember my line manager at the time alistair he he'd been on the program and i actually remember seeing a fundamental kind of shift in in him and also building of relationships with new people around the business that I would witness every now and then and just they seem to have like a deeper level of connection and camaraderie and it changed the just the whole spirit and the feeling of the collaboration across parts of the team so it obviously made me really curious to be able to observe that and then I was you know happy to be told that that program had then been extended and that I was going to be invited to have one of the the you know hard fought places on on the program and because I'd seen changes and he'd obviously not shared anything that had happened on the program because obviously you have to experience it otherwise you know if you can't experience it firsthand then you you lose some of that that beauty in it um but I I'd witnessed enough third hand to know that it was something powerful and was excited that I was going to be able to find out you know join the club and be part of this this program that seemed to be doing great things but um, wanted to experience it for myself. Mm. Okay, I think I was I was probably the opposite to that. I think I did get get conscripted, and um, um, and probably you know Sam was talking about it earlier about me questioning Paul at the start, and and um, and I think I probably was trying to understand. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are; you always think you know everything, don't you? And it's only when you another five years down the line you realize you didn't and uh, and the five years from today i realized how much i didn't know today but um mm -hmm. i think at, at the time i was it was it hadn't been briefed well enough to me and i i went along expecting uh, just another management development course and what they're going to teach me this time that they didn't teach me at the last one um how many feedback models can there be <laughs> well yeah that's right yeah and um uh i think you know as a a, a mathematician I, I, I'd like to uh, uh, feel the logic and and sometimes and I think the thing with Inspire is it took a little while for me for the, all the pieces of the jigsaw to fit together me go oh okay I'll get it now and um, but as I, I said earlier the, by the end of it and and um, and ever since there was there was so much of it that has stuck with me um, and, and back to the previous point I'm sure that that I went out into and, and acted as a disciple within Experian for the, I was there until 2016. Um, um, and so there will have been plenty of direct reports and team colleagues that, that felt the impact of, of um, various models that I will have been either explicitly or, or, or otherwise sharing, sharing with them. So Sam reminded me, so I co-facilitated that program. So I was running that, that as I ran the program, one of my 
uh, key facilitators was um, Paul, Paul Dowding. And he uh, was, a, you know, he's an integral part of that delivery team. And you shared a little story about, um, you know, if you're happy to share it, about that kind <laughs> of uh, in the moment sort of way that Paul kind of helped kind of uh, have a little bit of a mind shift for you. If you could share that, that would be, that would be I think, uh, great fun to hear. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, God, I had to think Sam should share this story because yeah, yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, I can start and you can pick it up, Keith, because I'm also you, you interested it. to hear. Keith will sing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, my recollection of this was it was it was at the beginning of the program, maybe even on the first day, and uh, Keith, as, as you already alluded to, you were you were probably a, a, of the group the person who was most. Uh, sort of challenging the the facilitators um, in terms of like what what value we were going to get from it, and we were doing some group exercise that was outside the lawn of the hotel, and Paul was leading this exercise, and um, and then then kind of Keith like chimed in with another uh, sort of challenge of like like what was like why 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 are we doing this like is this is this really a good use of our time to be on our on a lawn um, doing something weird with a rope or whatever it was. And then... And, and blindfolds, um, I think you'll find. Um, yeah, yeah. Blind, blindfolds. <laughs> leave anyway. the blindfolds out. <laughs> yes, yes. What, what, You've already what goes, got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> what goes on Inspire stays on Inspire. So we'll draw a veil over the rope and the blindfolds. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so, so Keith, Keith sort of challenges Paul on the, the the usefulness of this exercise, and then Paul just like in this quite dramatic way just says, "Right, stop!" And then he went and stood like right in front of Keith, like right right kind of up close to him, and said, "Push me over," and then sort of got Keith to kind of try and um, like push him over by pushing him on the chest and. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe Keith, maybe you want to kind of take over at, um, at that point. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, I don't specifically remember what happened, except I do remember that he, he, um, he basically wasn't letting me push him over. And I think the point he was making was that, that instead of challenging, go with, go with me on this. Because as you say, I think he turned it from a, from a shoving match into a waltz. Uh, and, um, yeah, he, he, he took that energy and he took it into something positive. That actually yeah. the two of you were engaged with. Yeah. And that, this, so this, was, this is exactly the image I most remember actually was it, it had gone from this very sort of alpha masculine confrontational scenario into this sort of like rather, rather beautiful waltz where Keith and Paul were waltzing towards the lake together. And, and they kind of, they, they sort of disappeared from the group really, really fast. And it, it like suddenly really came to life that if you can like harness that, the energy that Keith was bringing in a different way, you could mm. make loads of progress. So that, I mean, yeah. that really stuck with me. Okay. So, you know, and, and those are the moments, I guess, that, you know, when you do programs like this, that it's, it's risky for facilitators as well. It's, it's very interesting that when you do this kind of work, we often say, you know, you can do it, you know, you can deliver training quite easy, you know, just, just talk about what's on the slides. Right. But if you're actually going to work with a group of people in a really adult way, then it puts the facilitator at risk. 
and it puts the program at risk because very often when we're dealing with senior people if they take umbrage then you know it can go left instead of right really really rather quickly and if a group of people turn and don't want to play that game then all of a sudden you know um what are, what are we doing here are we trying to make it pleasant you know so let's tell a load of jokes and make it quite easy or are we trying to bring change into the room and so that the subtlety of doing that um um is is i think you know sometimes that we sit with certain anxieties in the morning you're going right how's this gonna go and uh yeah that's that's always those those memories are 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 great ones and and for me that kind of brings me on to you know the the learning and in which is you know which is which is key you know you can go on programs and you can learn a tool you know, if you want to give feedback, here's a four-stage model or something like that. You can learn a mindset. Well, okay, while you're applying that uh, tool, you know, this is how you might want to frame it. That's the lens you might want to look through. And you can learn a behavior. It might be reinforcing or calibrating yours, but it's just an, while you're doing that thing, this is the experience people need to have of you from maybe your physicality, your tone, your breathing, your et cetera. And even though there might be a, a mindset and a lens, that, that's also leading to the who, your own kind of identity. And if your ego is in play and what's the other person picking up and how much do you care about what's going on for them? And there's lots of things going on there. So it's, you know, what, how, how do you think it, you know, it's, it, you, when you look back, what, what was the journey there and maybe how it kept on going? You know, it's like a, it maybe, you know, is it a snowball that it just kept growing or is it, no, I just, it, I didn't really grow in more knowledge, but I just keep referring back to it. What, what's your experience been as you've, as you've gone through and forward? So I'll go, shall I? So I, I suspect that um, um, there are lots of things that are um, subliminally, buzzing around in my brain that I still, uh, you know, uh, subconsciously refer to without realizing it. But there are three or four of the models that um, I was taught that, that I use both for myself and, and for colleagues uh, ever since. And the one that, the one that sticks with me, um, I was, uh, I, I, I was never an office politician and I'm still not. I don't find it easy, or I don't, or I choose not to get involved in, in office politics. And um, I remember you saying to me, "Go in one of our one-to-one sessions that I was making life difficult for myself because I wasn't playing the game enough, and that I needed to find a compromise." When you're diametrically opposite to somebody, um, uh, and you're trying to work with them, and you're trying, you, you may have um, uh, congruent goals but your paths to get in there are different and you're, been, and you're trying to work with them, that you, you have to um, change your stance a little bit in order to, to get them uh, on side and, and to ease your, ease your chances or increase your chances of, of achieving your goal. And the, and the illustration you used for it was, was a, a seesaw and you and, uh, this, the, uh, the, the, they've got the fulcrum and then, and then the seesaw, the plank, um, was sat on top and I'm right at one end planted firmly on the ground because I, because of, of, you know my weight is holding it down and and basically I've now got uphill struggle with with the person at the other at the other end and and the analogy was that if I didn't 
um, if, if I just compromised my style a little bit and, and edged up the seesaw, it would start to bring it into balance. I wouldn't go past the fulcrum so much that I had um, compromised my own values and 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 sort of them and made life uh, difficult for myself in the other way. But but to just to to bat, sort of balance the situation enough to make life easy for me, and and I hold that I hold that in my head a lot. Um, um, you know, uh, the, the present Mrs. Ambrose, uh, who's a, uh, a, 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 from that. A, a, cl- a clinical psychologist and has known me for 35 years, you know, says that I'm somewhere on the spectrum. And um, um, and so being emotionally aware and stuff isn't a strength. So, but but having that having that um, uh, image in my mind of just edging myself, if I can feel myself struggling to get somebody else on side with something, I just have to work out how I can edge up the seesaw and make life a bit easier for both of us. Uh, and, um, and I have, I have used that model with staff who have come to me and said, Oh, you know, I can't get so-and-so I can't get them to do what I want them to do or whatever. And I've, and I've, and I've used it. So that particular thing has definitely stuck with me for well over a decade. now. There's two things I take from that. One is when you go on a program that gives you the appreciation that you need to marry a clinical psychologist to get to <laughs> that, that, that may be its own thing. But I also love the idea of just of the gift of passing it through to other people. And, you know, that's harder sometimes with more complex models. But what I would class as sticky content, stuff that, look, there's a seesaw, right? And yeah. you know, when, stuff that you can just offer to people that, again, I wonder how many people might, you know, decades on from knowing you, well, I had a boss who actually, and I'm going to offer it to you. And it's like a baton that kind of goes yeah. on through time. And I, I find that fascinating. And that was what I said earlier about the multiplier effect of, of, uh, of some of this learning. It will definitely have, have, have cascaded around both within and without experience. Yeah. And, and back to the, um, so two tips, uh, don't ever marry, marry a clinical psychologist because A, they know what you're thinking before you've thought it. And B, they're very intelligent and it's not good. Is <laughs> that cry for help, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And just for anybody else, just that, but the, the experience of just being on it or, or what you took away and, and how it's still adding, adding value. It'd be great to hear what that might be. For me, there's a, there's quite a few different points, actually. I think we've talked a bit about how it was very much a journey. So the fact that we had this investment from, you know, the organisation, which is, which is so important, um, just in, in the programme, and the fact that it was a longer period of things, so you could kind of find your place in the group, get to know the group dynamics, the dynamics of the facilitators and, and that kind of thing. So as time went on, I think it, uh, you know, became more practical in terms of those things that you take away with you. But I think reflecting back on it, there were so many different things and it, it's the most simple fundamental elements that really have st- stuck with me for this period of time so things like you know it's not all about me so when there's something that you feel like you're in a you're in a, a bubble all the attention's on on you you're not quite sure to do uh, what to do as a leader potentially and um, you know everyone else is potentially in that viewpoint as well from their own position. You know, they're thinking it's about them. They're thinking about their fears, their anxieties, their worries, what they're going to do. Is everybody thinking about what they're doing? Well, actually, no. So it kind of, it really helps you to nip that in the bud and think, you know, when you start to worry about what everyone else is thinking or the decisions that you're making, it's not all about you. Everyone's got their own things to be thinking about and everyone's in the same position and thinking through those same fears and anxieties and 
decision points. Um, and that just, that was one thing that I took away. Um, another thing was just around authenticity. And that for me was a really foundational point to all the other learnings that I took out of it. And I know that Sam will want to touch on some other ones that we've, that we've shared as well in the conversation earlier, but just being, just being yourself and having that confidence to be yourself as a leader and be authentic and feel like you can bring your whole self to work. And I think over the last few months, particularly, that's even resonated even more with me when, you know, during lockdown, people are at home, you can't help but bring your whole self to work sometimes, you know, you're constantly connected, you're on video conference, you're, you know, you don't suddenly get to have a pep talk with yourself and then step into a room, you, you know, you're, you're always on, you're connected, you've got additional challenges, which, you know, you've got your deliveries coming or the homeschooling or the kids or other things that are happening or those days where you just don't feel like being on a video conference, but you, you need to bring your A game to work. So I think we've definitely become more, more human and more authentic just throughout that process and having the comfort to do that, I think is a really powerful thing for, for everybody. I, I like that, Gemma. I, I think one of the things that I sometimes come to bring when I'm doing a sales pitch into an organization is that I, I often get asked what's new. And I often go, do you know what? That's not really the right question. <laughs> it, it won't be about what's new. It'll be about actually doing the things that are, might seem very basic and, and very, I wouldn't use the word low level, but just very human. So people are not, it's not about new models, though, of course, there's learning to be had. But if you don't get that foundation right and give people a sense of their own identity and what they're really about, then it is just training. It's just more tools. It, it has to sit on top of somebody's calibration of how they're going to apply them, not necessarily what they are, but what's the manner of me while I'm doing it. And sometimes, um, especially with when I'm speaking to people a little bit more junior, they want to say to people who are going to be doing the development, this is why you should do it because it's new and it's innovative. Well, actually that's not the reason they should be doing it. They actually need to probably look right back to that kind of sense of self, get that right. And then they can learn anything they want on top of it. And that's, a, that's an interesting one that I think I'm hearing there, Gemma, if I'm, if I've understood that correctly. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things where you need those skills that regardless of what situation you're in or what task you're facing, that you're, you're able to come back to that center. You know, we talked a lot about our morals and what drives us and what sits well with you. I know I, I say to my teams a lot now when they're really, you know, overthinking things and trying to work out a particular example, you know, it has to fundamentally sit right with you and for you to feel that you're doing the right thing and making those decisions and don't worry too much about the whole process and controlling the whole process if you just do what you think is right and and whatever option sits well with you then you know that that, that that's the right way to go yeah awesome. so the way that entirely sorry sam go ahead oh sorry keith i was just going to say like i sort of draw this distinction in my mind between things i learned from inspire which are like a swiss army knife so, so I, I got this Swiss Army knife that's got a ton of different, really useful tools that I've been able to apply in a whole range of different situations. So one that particularly resonated with me was this model called the Jahari window, which is a, a two by two for thinking about uh, how you can develop or how people in your team can develop. And I've used that like many times over the years. Um, but I think like in addition to the, the Swiss Army knife and the new tools, there's also this thing that um both um jam and guy were speaking to just there which is like there's things which are, are put in the category of like life 
uh, philosophy. And I think what you said, guys, is exactly right. Like a lot of the best stuff is not new. It's, it's profound, eternal truths about how humans feel most fulfilled and best relate to each other. And I think in that domain, like a lot of what I learned on Inspire has been just generally useful to me in life, like not necessarily anything to do with a professional context, although it often is useful there as well. So one example of that would be just um, an instinct or to try and control one's instincts to make judgments about other people. And instead, like particularly if you are interacting with somebody who you find difficult and you don't like gel with to like try and find a bit more compassion rather than just making kind of reflexive judgment and assuming that you're going to fundamentally disagree with them or that you don't like them just try try and find the compassion to sense what's going on for them I, I, I found that really really important and then I guess another thing that we also touched on before and I, I think about regularly is this question to oneself when facing any kind of decision in life uh, which we learned from the program which uh, in your words guy um what would a good version of you do in this situation not a superhuman mahatma gandhi version of you but a good version um, and I, I just found that incredibly useful sort of maxim about moral courage so so any any kind of any kind of decision i just think that's such a fantastic question to ask oneself I, I love this because I think what I what I have here is organisations often talk about talent and talent development, and of course there's you know the, the knowledge of the process, the product, the market. There's that kind of the, the doing part, and you know of course then there's the being part, and and very often people get brought into an organisation because the people that they've got in it that are doing it they don't think they're able to be somebody that they want at that more senior level. And it's because they're not running programs or doing that development that is actually growing the human being. And we're not talking about, you know, dancing around the mulberry bush and going on. You know, we had some very complex, you know, conversations that, you know, touch people in, in different ways. But the I think what I'm hearing from you there, Sam, is that, you know, these things are, if we're going to do it right, you are developing the whole human being, not just showing them how to read a PL, which is, you know, perfectly right because if you're not competent you can't do the job but I'm, that's what i'm hearing there it's let's let's develop the whole human and, and and hey we're still talking about it a decade later if, if i've understood that correctly yeah i think that's a very good summary of it hmm. absolutely there's there's still place you know place for the for the skills based training you know that that goes goes without saying but i think it just it's that meeting of minds between employees i guess in an organization around the investment from you know it's not just monetary wise it's time wise it's it's you know commitment it's you know really being 100% present in those situations to get as much out of it as you possibly can and I think if you can try and get programs that develop the the foundations and the the fundamental sort of human side of it as well as the skills-based stuff on top I think you actually approach the skills-based things in a in a very different way and can can identify when you just need to get some skills done to do the job at the same time as when you're developing things that will stay with you for a lot longer. So listen, I'm, I'm alert to time 
um, you know, I'm always kind of uh, thinking about, a, you know, respecting your time, but also people's uh, l- listenability lengths when it comes to these things. Because, you know, yeah, with a beer, with a beer and a, now. well, exactly, with a beer <laughs> and a curry, you know, we were sat around a table. We, we, you know, we'd reminisce, you know, uh, to the point of no, no return. But uh, j- so, just on a personal note, first of all, just you know, hey Sam, thanks for putting that image into the world because you know. The, the catalyst of something, you know, creates something else, right? So um, it fired me up to to think and to reflect and to kind of go, why would I want to do this? And actually, I think it's a, the, the message for me was for people that are looking at maybe being asked by their organization, you know, would you want to invest in doing something that had some depth? There might be a fear, there might be an anxiety, but actually, you know, the, the, what I'm, you know, that, that long-term value is, 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 is there. And I've, I've heard that. So thank you for that. And, and thank you, Keith and Gemma for taking time out of schedules to contribute just just your thoughts and and there doesn't have to be but is there just any kind of you know just i don't know guy just before we go um you know something i'd like to say is i mean there doesn't have to be but if there is it'd be a beautiful thing to hear so i think the 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 benefit and to use sam's analogy is that you're giving everybody um the the swiss army knife Mm. and you might not see it them using every tool every day but if you've got everybody with that's equipped to the same basic level and that and that base is is a high one because you know the swiss army knife is the is the uh, de facto of army knives isn't it so um then you will gradually see the benefit of that across your whole organization because you've generally just you know it's i don't know it's, it's sort of a if you if you only employ people with phds in your research team then you know you'll have a bright research team and and um if if you're giving everybody the leadership equivalent of a swiss army knife then you would hope to that generally your your uh, quality of leadership and therefore your overall staff well-being and, and morale will will be uplifted along with it I might have that as my new strap line. Actually, I'm going to go uh, "Living Brave Limited," uh, the Swiss Army knife of. Um, you know, <laughs> like that. I'm going to morph that into a t-shirt or something. You know, one of those lines. Extra but, large one for me, please. <laughs> um, I mean, Sam Gemma, uh, just anything else from you um, that you know you would would add value to the conversation. I think Keith summed it up. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think Keith summed it up really well there. Um, just uh, the only additional thing I'd say is just that it's a it's a gift. You know, development is a gift both ways. So for people to be able to give to their employees, you know, to colleagues, to to anybody, any any given time in the in the interactions that you have, I guess both at work and at, and outside of work, but also for organisations to to give in terms of programmes, um, and it will always resonate if you if you do it properly it will always resonate further than you than you ever think it will um and yeah just just go for it if people have got the opportunity to do it thank you Jeffa. sam anything from you no no, no but you, you started the whole thing so maybe you should wrap it up <laughs> yes yeah, so, so i guess maybe just a, a final thought for anybody who's listening or watching and is sort of contemplating investing and training and development and uh, this thought actually comes from a book called How to Be Strategic by a guy called Fred Pallard. And um, Fred in this book described training as a no regret move. 
which basically, um, to expand that a bit, means that if you invest in training, you will get a positive return in every single scenario. So like sometimes the outcome of training is, is a little bit positive, but it can also be absolutely transformational. And there's actually very few other things, I think, as an organization that you can invest in that are no regret moves in that way. So, you know, I hope some of this conversation today has maybe inspired people to, you know, think about that and think about this as a transformational upside they could achieve. Okay, Sam, Keith, Gemma, I'm going to press the stop button. Uh, we'll keep on just for a few more moments, but just on a on a personal note, and to you know, I'm sure anybody that's listening as well who is either in the the, the space of bringing development in, signing it off, or potentially you know going on one, which is probably most people, then you know this I think this will have added the super value. So uh, thank you, and I'm going to press the stop button. So thank you. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book, Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.